right here on ESPN Plus alongside my good buddy Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Just a few minutes later than scheduled uh, here between us. Herc, we lasted just one show in studio and you shipped me to Frisco, Texas. And I'm still stuck here. How about that? I told you, Dallas, you can miss your flight. It's happened to me last time. Who was it? Somebody was in Columbus. Oh, Campeones Cup. I missed my flight. I got stranded, stayed overnight. Welcome to the club. Uh, you're doing it from your hotel room. I commend you on that. You did not miss out. No, I, I did not. Of course, I was here for the finale of the She Believes Cup last night. We'll be talking about the U.S. women's team a little bit later. I know you've been busy. Today you had an interview with Phil Neville. Uh, so that should be very, very interesting as we talk a little bit mm -hmm. into Miami. we got to get you all caught up on all the CONCACAF Champions League stuff that's been going on, including an MLS Liga Mekki showdown, plus her a dripping or tripping MLS kit edition. And of course, you, you can't see the drip in or tripping, but you can hear all about it on the podcast of this show. But Herc, we got to start, unfortunately, with some injury news. And it's injury news about none other than Weston McKinney of Juventus and the U.S. Nas men's national team. On Tuesday, he suffered not one, Herc, but we find out two fractures in his left foot against Villarreal. Sources confirming to our Jeff Carlisle, actually, that McKinney uh, is set to miss between eight and 12 weeks, which would obviously rule him out for the three decisive qualifiers coming up in late March. Herc, uh, does this then jeopardize the United States automatic spot, let's say automatic spot in Qatar? Absolutely. Uh, let's for a second try to forget about the fact that he's probably the most informed player the U.S. Mets national team has. Let's for a second try to forget for a fact that he's easily been the most consistent. I mean, since a lot of different pundits on a lot of different networks, a lot of different fans criticized him, after that first window, he's been stellar for club and country. Just say my name. That's you, Sebastian <laughs> Salazar. Uh, can we for a second acknowledge the U.S. men's national team without Weston McKinney? Uh, they've played four games on the road. Uh, they've won, literally won without him, and that was the Honduras versus the worst team in the window. Uh, it's a team that can't keep a clean sheet without him. They're definitely different without Weston McKinney. Of course this hurts the U.S. men's national team. Of course this impacts the direct birth to the World Cup. The spot's already in jeopardy, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's a long way to go with these three games. So I think it, it's not fair to just say that McKinney's injury could be the thing that jeopardizes this team because there's no guarantee that they could go down and win in Mexico or go down and win in Costa Rica with, with Weston McKinney. That's something this program has always struggled to do. I think the point that you raise is kind of important. It's like, who else can you really at this point count on? Not just for goals, but for consistent performances yeah. in this U.S. team. And a lot of that has to do with rotation and stuff like that. But I think really there's very few guys that you say, okay, Greg Berhalter is going to absolutely 100% with a Sharpie put this guy's name in the 11. And Weston McKinney is one of the only few guys in that category. Um, right now, Herc, let's break it down in percentages. Um, with Weston McKinney out, what kind of percentage do you think that there is that the U.S. won't qualify for Qatar? 3%. 3%? Why, why so low and why so precise? Do you remember what the percentage was heading into the Trinidad and Tobago game in 2018? The SPI, I remember vividly, SPI gave the United <laughs> States men's national team a 3% chance of not making the World Cup. What do you think happened? That 3% yeah, no, came I true. I was there. Okay? Yeah. 3% because it's highly unlikely. All they have to do is beat Panama. I know that sounds very yeah. easy. I'm not convinced it's as easy as people think. But all you have to do is win that home game. And you are going to play against a Mexico team that you've, I don't want to say dominated, but at least score-wise, score-line-wise, you've won three times in a calendar year. 
so it's minimal. But how big was McKinney in those games against Mexico? That's the thing. Nations League final, he was massive. Every set piece, it seemed like he won. And then you're talking about that Cincinnati game, that Dos Acero, he was a deciding mm. factor in that as well. He just screams big-time player to me. This is going to be a huge loss. I might put it a little bit higher than three because the Panama win doesn't necessarily guarantee you automatic, right? Like right. if you only beat Panama and Costa Rica goes perfect through the window, the U.S. could end up um, in fourth. So you got to beat Panama and do something else in one of those road games. That's going to be difficult without Weston McKinney, but I think the U.S. still very much then in the but driver's seat. that's why I said seat. 3% because that 3% for the U.S. meant that Costa Rica had to lose against Panama, meant that Mexico had to lose against Honduras, and those things happened. So like you said, Costa Rica would have to play out, win out. Three points every single game, nine-point window. So let's help a good friend of the program then, U.S. men's national team manager Greg Berhalter with a big decision, Herf, that looms ahead of that March 24th World Cup qualifier at Azteca against Mexico. Who replaces Weston McKinney in the 11? I think we should focus in on the Mexico game because if we're being honest, it's going to be a rotation through the three matches, Correct. right? Whoever it is is not going to get all three starts. So, wow, look at that. We got six choices for you. Who are you taking, Herc? Okay, for argument's sake, I'm not going to change the formation. We myself. don't do anything for argument's sake on okay. this show. Okay, I'm going to save us the trouble, and I'm going to go man for man, like for like. I okay. think the obvious choice would be a Luca De La Torre. Uh, mm. Luca's an interesting player to me. He's a player that does very well technically with the ball in tight spaces, yet he does very well in transition. It's something that Greg Berhalter criticized him according to Luca De La Torre, but he does very well in Heracles. I know it's a small sample size. I know we only saw a little bit of him, but he's very familiar with the players around him. He's been playing with these guys since youth national team level. He's got a little chip on his shoulder. He's got confidence. He's got the contagious work rate. Good on both sides of the ball. Very crafty inside tight spaces. Uh, this will be a game where I think you will need to be very good physically in the center midfield. He offers that verticality, offers that uh, good play and possession. I think he'd be a vital player in that game. Delator was really, really good against Honduras. I wonder, though, if you're not being a little bit prisoner of the moment, right? It was not just Honduras, a totally unmotivated, literally size. frozen Honduras. And he, but he did, he did play well. There are a lot, a lot of other options. Though. I know you, you say you don't want to like switch the tactics, but I look at a guy like Kellen Acosta, and if you if you if you figure that the U.S. is going to not dominate possession at Azteca, would it not make sense to put in like an yeah. Adams and an Acosta there because that gives you a little bit more defensive cover uh, in front of that back four? I Let think me ask you about experience right. too. What about Leggett and Roldan? Don't you want experience at Azteca? Oh yeah, how many of those players have experienced Azteca? No, but they got way more professional experience than Luca De La Torre, no? Look at the players playing in the Eredivisie. And I don't want to get into this, who's got more experience, does it matter type in CONCACAF, because then we're going to go back to the Panama game. All the experience of World Cup qualifying, and then look what happened. You bottle it against Panama right. in Panama. So don't focus so much on experience. Focus on what you've done well against Mexico. What has worked against Mexico when you can play through their midfield, when you can go physically toe-to-toe -to -toe with Mexico, because technically, tactically, the U.S., they're almost on par there. They're just as good. And dynamically, they are better. So play to your strengths versus Mexico. You said you didn't want to change the lineup, but there's probably a couple other guys you there could is. drop into that conversation, too. A Brendan Aronson, a Christian Pulisic. Let's focus in on Christian Pulisic, right? Because he did score in the Champions League this week. What a moment for the young American. His first Champions League goal of the season coming on Tuesday. Chelsea beating Lille 2-0 at Stamford Bridge. Goal came in the 63rd minute, not the game winner, but kind of the game clincher, if you will. He was playing in that 
left wing attacking midfield role. Uh, was subbed out in the 80th minute for Herc's favorite player, Timo Werner. Herc, uh, <laughs> less than a month until the Mexico game. Will Christian Pulisic's form last? Uh, it better last. And yes, it, why is it every time we hit the Champions League knockout rounds, Christian Pulisic transforms himself into this best of CONCACAF mm. level type of player? He did it last year. He enters that form when you're like, wow, he rivals Alfonso Davies. Wow, he will rival a Jonathan David. He will rival any player in this continent. It happened last year. Okay, it's happening again this year. He has an air for the dramatic. He has an air for the grand stage. Uh, and who is his favorite victim in CONCACAF? He may be struggling in World Cup qualifiers. If you look at the numbers, if you look at the overall play, but he loves to play against Mexico. He may not always play well against Mexico, but iconic moments. Yes. Nations League, decisive penalty, and then the iconic shh celebration. Vidosa Cero in Cincinnati. He wasn't even a starter. It comes off the bench. Boom! Header off of Timothy Weah. Cross, iconic celebration, man in the mirror, jersey. This man loves to play against Mexico, and he's gotten confident. He is putting mm. the ball in the back of the net. He is playing where he wants, and he's doing it well. Will the form continue? It will if the health continues, right? We always have to put that yes, asterisk out with there with Christian Pulisic. But right now, if you look at what's happening around Chelsea, you got to feel really good about where Christian Pulisic is. There's a great article right now on our website, ESPN.com, James Ollie writing it, about how Pulisic has basically made himself a very, very difficult decision for Thomas Tuchel. This is from the article. He made back-to-back -back starts, one in this game against Leo before against Crystal Palace. That's only the third time that's happened this season. But maybe more critically, Herc, they were back-to-back -back starts, not just in the same position, but in his best position. That's going to obviously help him with Chelsea. It's going to obviously help him with the U.S. national team. The other thing when we talk about Chelsea is, if you ever watch ESPN FC, you know, the whole conversation around Chelsea right now is who's not playing. Yeah. And that's Lukaku. And I know, you know, they're not the same player. They're not the same position. But it's a guy who's right now very much out of favor, kind of out of the rotation, and it might open up more spots and more playing time for Pulisic. And you say, you say he's big in big games. Well, he's got a big one coming up this weekend, Sunday, the final of the Carabao Cup against Liverpool, who we know he's had some success against before. Great opportunity to get another start, maybe a third in a week, and get another big game under his belt, and maybe another big game performance. I'm starting to like what I'm seeing from Christian Pulisic at Chelsea, definitely making a turnaround there. What about the pressure, Herc? Because the last article we saw from James Ali on ESPN.com was about how the pressure is starting to mount for Christian Pulisic. So with Weston McKinney out, is the pressure now back on Captain America? I don't think it ever left Captain America, and he better embrace this pressure. Uh, Christian Pulisic, you can talk about the pressure that he feels at the U.S. men's national team, but every mm -hmm. time we've seen him in a knockout round in the Champions League, that pressure doesn't seem to bother him. He seems to excel under that pressure. He seems to actually enjoy it. Did you see his dance? Did you see the gritty? We're not talking about the Champions League, though, Herc. We're that's talking a about bigger with the stage. US. That's a bigger stage, so embrace it. If you He's embrace not it. the guy Listen in the to Champions what I am League. Saying. He's the guy if with you the US. embrace it, with the Champions League on that stage, embrace it here. Be that man here. You know you're going to go play against Mexico. Not in the second leg of the window. I'm sorry, not in the second game of the window. Not in the third game of the window. The first game of that window. If you win in Azteca, you are historic, and you put yourself in prime position for what's next. If you're Greg Berhalter, don't do this thing like you did against Panama. Don't focus, don't focus on what's coming after. Focus on what's in front of you. Same thing for Christian Pulisic. Embrace that pressure. It's different pressure, though. I really do believe that, Herc. I think it's so different when you are expected to contribute than when you are expected to lead. Like, 
maybe you have a better or a different memory of Christian Pulisic. To me, the best games I've ever seen Pulisic in a U.S. jersey are still the World Cup qualifiers pre-2018. Those last two games of that cycle, he was the only half-bright spot in Cuba. And the game against Panama in Orlando, I don't think I've ever seen an American player, and I've said this on the show before, dominate a World Cup qualifier like that. Maybe you go way back and you find a Claudio Reyna. You might find moments from Landon Donovan. But Pulisic in that game, when he was expected to contribute but not expected to lead, was untouchable. And and I th- I do think that Weston McKinney being there would have taken a lot of pressure off his shoulders. Weston McKinney being there, Giovanni Reyna being there, of course it would have taken pressure off Christian Pulisic, but Christian Pulisic needs to do what every young, I shouldn't even say what every, because only Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey probably had somewhat of that magnitude, but he needs to embrace this, Seb. Mexico is his favorite victim, then go out there and do it. Have fun. Yep. Because he doesn't have, and this is a very minute the U.S. men's national team fan base isn't toxic like you will see English fan bases. There isn't, his, paper, his name won't be in the papers, uh, you know, the, the following day. It won't be like that. Come on, man. Embrace this type of pressure. This is the fun part. Bro, you are the most toxic thing on the Internet, and that's quite saying something, Hercules going. Carabao Cup final coming Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, on uh, ESPN plus Chelsea against Liverpool. Coverage starts at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time, 8.30 a.m. out there on the West Coast for you, Herc. Again, the Carabao Cup final on ESPN plus. Of course, it is a Europa League Thursday. Let's check in on CONCACAF involvement uh, the last week throughout uh, both the Europa League and the Champions League. Hector Herrera getting a 90-minute goal against Manchester United, Herc. A lot of people saying he played really, really well. I thought he played pretty well he played well let's be honest he played well guess who was in attendance general manager pat onstad of the houston dynamo who by the way today happened to make some moves international salt from philly and some uh, allocation money what do you make of that i like it i like it uh conrad de la fuente with a goal in the europa conference league got a gutierrez uh, as well so uh, a pretty good week all around for Concacaf players in Europe. Let's turn our attention to the U.S. Women's National Team in the She Believes Cup. United States against Iceland. U.S., it's a a must win for this team. Iceland only needing a draw to kind of pull the shock upset in the She Believes. Uh, Goal scoring got going in the 37th minute. Carolina Macario. Oh, Oh, it was nasty. Oh, that is filthy. Uh, The moment she gets this and she cuts in, you know she's going to shoot. She knows she's going to shoot. You know who doesn't? The goalkeeper. Mm. Of course, uh, Another goal from Macario in the 45th minute here. You think she meant to do this? Some discussion on the broadcast last night. No, I think she's crossing that. But like I always say, I meant to be dangerous. I don't know, dude. She takes a look there. I think she sees the goalie off her line. We, we got to give her some credit there. Okay, 60th minute. Um, Mallory Pugh, so much talent and starting to come to life for the national team again. Here she makes it three. Oh, it's a filthy through ball right there. And then a sweet little finish. Iceland. Really starting to fall apart late as the U.S. press forward a two-on-one here. Pew to Macario to Pew for. I-, I thought Barcelona played today. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Here comes the fifth in the 88th minute. Christy Mewis tapping home to make it 5 nothing as the U.S. wins the She Believes Cup for the third straight time. Here's the manager, Vlad Kalinanovsky. There's, there's still a lot, uh, a lot room uh, for growth in, uh, in the, in the group. Uh, not, not just the midfielders, all over, all over the field. But uh, uh, I, feel, I feel like we can all see the potential now. I said this uh, before. 
it's a process. It's, it's going to take time, and uh, I'm glad that this uh, this game finished the way it did. And I'm uh, I'm very happy for the result, very happy for for the players. But uh, realistically, this is this is still not enough. We we still have to get better and better uh, as we go forward. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Big win on the field. Big win off the field, too, for the U.S. Just come a couple days after the women's team in the Federation announcing that big settlement in the equal pay lawsuit. The U.S. bouncing back after the disappointing opener in the She Believes Cup to win it for the fifth time in seven years. Julie Foudy and I got to cover the whole tournament, and last night we broke it down from over at Toyota Stadium. Well, Julie, it didn't get off to a brilliant start for the United States today. It took 37 minutes for the Americans to finally break through against Iceland. But once they broke that dam, boy, they rolled 5-0 the final score. And I, and I do give this younger group a lot of credit because there is the tendency, and especially when you're younger, especially given the fact that they tied Czech Republic 0-0 and they couldn't break through, to get frustrated. And you didn't see that. You didn't see the body language change with this group. You saw them keep out. It and then Katarina Macario does her magic, which is so interesting because we talked to her last night. And what's the thing we talked about with her is patience and not getting frustrated with herself and not beating herself up. And that paid off with those two goals huge goals leading into the halftime. We talked about it in the telecast, but to go in at halftime 0 0 with a young group like that and a lot of pressure in a game that mattered where you needed a result and they had no veterans to turn to. It's a very different halftime talk than going in 2-0 up. You talk about pressure. I wonder how much pressure you think was on the manager, Vladko Andonovsky, tonight. There had been a, a bit of a struggle, not just at the Olympics, but really in some of the games since to manufacture offense. If they hadn't won tonight, yeah. they would have not won the She Believes Cup in probably one of the years with the weakest She Believes field that we've seen. I mean, he had to win tonight, didn't yeah. he? And you, and you could see it in that first half. Usually uh, in Andonovsky, it's a pretty stoic, composed, yeah. sideline demeanor. And with some of those early misses and chances, he was visibly like, da. And you don't see that a lot from him. So I do think there was a lot of pressure on him to get a performance like they did tonight, to get the goals, to show that this younger group is coming along. Because I also think there were a lot of people who said, yeah, we understand you need to see those younger players and you need to see them now, but why not layer in a few right. more veterans into the mix to help them along? And his answer to that was, I don't have the time. With yeah. COVID delaying with the Olympics, with the World Cup qualifiers doubling as Olympic qualifiers, I need to see those young kids. I need to get the minutes now. And I think that win tonight justified that move. 
let's look at the She Believes Cup tournament as a whole and kind of think ahead to the World Cup qualifying that you mentioned, which will be July and down in Monterrey, and Olympic qualifying uh, as well. Can you do a, a stock up on, on a player? Was there somebody in this tournament? I, let's take Katarina Macario aside because we just talked about her, but one of the other field players that for you really uh, improved their stock for that tournament. Well, Val Pugh was an yeah, obvious choice, right? Yeah. I, and I think uh, she came off the bench in the second game, started the first game. She's playing confident and with a joy that you didn't see in years past. Yeah. I mean, she came in early, as we know, with the Olympic team in 2016 and had some success early, but then we've seen her play with three different clubs team, be injured, hasn't played with a lot of joy. And she's back with a, a, a step and she's gliding and she's getting in and getting into good position. So I thought she looked really good. The other one that surprised me in this tournament, I thought Rose looked really good in the first yep, in the first yep. game. That didn't surprise me. But who came in for Rose in this tournament is Ashley Sanchez. Yeah. I thought she had a, a, a really impressive She Believes Cup and in particular game today and, uh, and, and this last game. Um, and that we've always known she's a creative player yeah. and she loves to get into that uh, attacking center mid position but she just buzzes all over. So I smooth mean, on the yeah, ball. Yeah, very good in tight spaces. So I, I really thought Sanchez had a performance as well. Back-to-back -back starts for her to end the She Believes Cup. Let's talk about all the off-field stuff that's been happening around this team. We had Cindy Parlo-Cohn who joined us at halftime. We had Abby Wambach joining us at halftime for reaction uh, to the news that we got on Tuesday, the equal pay lawsuit that has yeah. hung over this team since early 2019, finally settled Ooh. this week. What would you make of it? We did a little jig yeah. when it settled yesterday. Yesterday, all, all the because it really does. It traces yeah. back beyond 2019 to like 2016 when the first EEOC was filed. And I know yeah. for you, it, it back really traces to the back 90s, to the 90s. Right? Yeah, I mean, we were fighting for equitable pay back then, not equal pay. But as this current team should be yeah. fighting for a very long fight for equal pay. And, and honestly, it was a lot of text chains. It was a lot of discussions with a lot of older players about how proud they felt for this moment, that this team was able to take it over the line. And they're not there yet. Obviously, this settlement requires contingent that. On yeah, the CBA it's contingent signed, on right? the CBA. And, and there's a lot of work to be done in that CBA. Uh, talking to Cindy tonight, I mean, they have to get to equal pay with that FIFA prize money. And right. that's the last piece of the puzzle, which requires the men honestly giving something up yep. um, and I think they're going to get there it's the first time I've heard them all optimistic about it but the fact that we're in a position where we know no three parties involved the men the women in U.S. soccer are going to sign anything except for it being something they feel is fair to all parties right. is a great sign going forward uh, real quick just to wrap things up because you mentioned the 90s I feel like there's been a contentious nature to the relationship between the women's national team and the federation for a really long time yeah are we past that now I hope so, because yeah. it's so energy draining. I mean, that's the thing that um, has been honestly so hard. I mean, you, you sue your employer right before you go to a World Cup yeah. <laughs> in 2019. And you win that World Cup. And then you Cup, go win yeah. that World Cup. And then it's just these constant battles and the little things become big things. And going back again to the 90s and the 2000s and all the fights we've had. And now I know this current generation, you know, carrying them on. It's a waste of energy. Yeah. And so I think that's the the most important thing honestly is you get to focus on the game again and put all of that to the side and it was important for them to fight for it but now they can focus on the game and that's liberating in itself julie always great to be with you let's go get warm shall thank, we thank you for giving me your gloves <laughs> that's where my gloves went okay now now we get it now u.s women then now winning on and off the field in case you missed it katarina macario
with a message taped on her wrist last night that's been making the rounds. You see it here showing it off after she's forward. It said, protect trans kids. This comes one day after Texas Governor Greg Abbott pushed to equate gender affirming health care for transgender minors to child abuse. A strong message from Macario, the rest of the team. This also comes uh, not long after the state of Texas jeopardized women's rights further with the most aggressive abortion ban uh, since Roe v. Wade, Herc. And I think it's important to bring this up now because uh, we have seen in the past organizations choose to pull their games from states where they don't feel their values are represented. Yeah. U.S. soccer right now is an organization that's talking an awful lot about values. I'm still here in the state of Texas, and I'm finding it harder and harder to believe that Cindy Parlo Cohn, now the president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, is going to feel comfortable or should feel comfortable, Herc, sending of all teams, but definitely the U.S. women's national team into this state. Because if you're an organization and you come into a state like Texas where the government is doing what it's doing, you're bringing your business here and you're bringing your fans business here and you're kind of co-signing on what's going on. And it's clearly not something that the players on the women's national team are content with or accepting of or wanting to support. And if you're the U.S. Soccer Federation trying to bridge a new relationship with this U.S. women's national team and all your national teams, I think it's something important to consider. Yeah, not only the women's national team players, but the fans, those fans mm. who pay their money and support this team. And let me just start off with Macario. It's it's always impressive when somebody with a platform, a role model, uses said platform for good. Use a set platform to send a message. This is what we want. This is all we're asking of. Anybody who has a platform has a responsibility, quite frankly. And the U.S. Men's, uh, sorry, U.S. Women's National Team do a very, very good job at that. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's uh, move on to the CONCACAF W qualifiers. So we know the U.S. Women's National Team, they're already good. They're set for the CONCACAF W Championship, which will be uh, taking place July in Monterrey. These are the teams trying to qualify uh, for. This is Nicaragua against Turks and Caicos. The final score here, 19 to nothing. This reminds me of my youth career. <laughs> How about Yesenia Flores? 22 years old, six goals in 66 minutes. That's wow. insane. That's a Hercules Gomez-esque goal return. Oh, no keeper. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, we, we got we to gotta work on that. Uh, that trips a little fast, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, some epic goal or epic fail. Hey, um, what's the worst victory or what's the worst defeat you suffered and what's the, the biggest victory you had? Worst defeat was probably when I played in MLS LA Galaxy. We lost like 5-0, I think. Worst or best win when I was young. We won 21-0, 10 years old. From CONCACAF to the CONCACAF Champions League. Round of 16, the only MLS Liga MX matchup that we got. Montreal against Santos. Santos winning the first leg in Torreón, but just barely. Romel Kyoto levels it here in the ninth minute. Herc, what's up with Acevedo? Yeah, well, that trip plays fast, I said. Uh, you got to come out. You got to win it. And Kyoto, first man there. Silk, silky finish without an angle. All right, something special about Montreal at the, uh, at the Stade Olympique in CONCACAF Champions League. 22nd minute, 
Oh Jordi Mikhailovic. My God. First, Kyoto steps on the ball like he's playing indoor, and then this finish, emphatic, <laughs> tight space, and take it home. Santos with a chance here just before the half. Nothing doing. No, they really didn't uh, do much offensively. And how about this? This is how they were feeling. Look at this shot. Oh, my. Oh. I'm not sure if this game was uh, good Montreal or bad Santos. We'll discuss that later. A uh, 52nd minute. More from Montreal. Kyoto, Acevedo, good there. And then get some help off the line. Oh, and the law get a little feisty. Leo, you don't want that smoke. A couple minutes later. Acevedo, big save again for the moment anywhere, keeping uh, Santos in it. But uh, shortly after that, Montreal get their third. Mikhailovic, the assist, Kone the goal. Yeah, Kone with the goal, but look at Jordi Mikhailovic get his head up, scan the field, and then find the nice, easy little tapping. And so that's how it finishes. Montreal, 3-0 on the day. Eliminating Santos, 3-1 on aggregate. And here's what it means. That's right, Pedro Caixinha has been relieved of his duties as the manager of Santos. Two months, not even two months, not even 10 games hurt did he last. Uh, so what happened here? Is the sack warranted? And was it your interview that jinxed him? It could have been my interview that jinxed him. Um, I don't, you know, it's so difficult for me to sit here with a straight face and say this sack was warranted. By the way, Pedro Caixinha wasn't even at the game. He was in his hotel room. He had COVID. So he got fired while he's sick, while he's COVID and he's in treatment right now. Not back in Mexico. He was relieved of his duties. But let me tell you about Santos Laguna. Santos Laguna has a short memory. Pedro Caixinha won multiple trophies with them, and mm -hmm. Santos Laguna mm -hmm. also forgets they've gutted. The organization has gutted Santos Laguna to help two clubs. It's sister team Atlas, who were champions last season. Okay, their best players went there to reinforce that team, and then you sold off your best players to Club America. What you left this Santos Laguna team, this Pedro Caixinha team, is a reflection of what we see today. I think they're better than that record, mm -hmm. but their last place in Liga Mekis two points, the worst defense in all of Mexico. And if you know one thing about Pedro Caixinha teams, defensively, they are good. Instead of giving mm. them a chance to right this ship, because there's no promotion relegation, so you're not going to get relegated. Instead of giving them that chance, you yank him. I think it's more of a message to the fans than anything else. Pedro Caixinha, he's been better than this in Mexico. And I, I think sometimes in sports, and especially in Liga Mekis, we have a short memory. You know, I always thought of Santos as one of the, like, better-run organizations in Mexico. And I, I think when I say better-run, I think I mean patient, right? Like, right. you have to be cool in these moments and, and not overreact. We see that so much in Mexican soccer, where coaches are just hired and fired. And this feels like that, which is kind of out of step for Santos. I'm with you. You would have thought the kind of the past um, would have done him some justice, bought him some time. I wonder, though, if they really, truly believe that this team can do better. Because if you look at the last two seasons, at least— they're top five. I mean, this, they, are, they are in dead last place now. So you can assume that this team can do somewhat better. I don't know how much better without Pedro Caixinha, um, but somewhat better. Let's talk about the MLS Liga Mekis dynamic of this, because now Major League Soccer is one for one, batting 1,000% against Liga Mekis uh, this year. Is it circumstance, or is this the beginning of the trend, and maybe the year where finally MLS 
topples the Mekis in CONCACAF Champions League. It could be a little bit of both, let's be honest. We just mentioned how bad Santos Laguna is in league play. Fine. That's not Montreal's problem. Montreal's in their preseason. They not even started their season. Montreal dominated a team that's been in plain season right now that should be in better form. And look at this. 2008 to 2017, MLS 14 wins, okay? Look at the wins from 2018 to the present. You're starting to see how much less Liga Mekis wins in these knockout rounds. Mm. We're accustomed to seeing now in Major League Soccer teams knock out the occasional Liga Mekis team. It doesn't mean they, they do well in the final. doesn't mean they win right. it. But this shouldn't be a surprise anymore. Not Montreal, yeah. not the Torontos, not the LAFCs, not whatever. We're accustomed to seeing this now. It's about getting over that hump and now winning it. But if there ever was a year, Seb, if you thought MLS yeah. had a chance, with these teams, these Liga Mekis teams in it now, this is probably the best chance. Remember the, the pretexto, the classic used to be like, well, MLS is in preseason mode, MLS is in preseason mode, and, and they still are relative to Liga Mekis, but they're less in preseason yeah. mode now, right? You're closer to your season, you've been around longer, you've been in camp longer. So, so I think, you, and that's really what it is, right? MLS is investing more. Like yeah. we see the players that are being competed for between Liga Mekis and MLS. And a lot of times now, Herc, they're ending up here in Major League Soccer. So the, the numbers don't lie right there, right? Uh, the trend is definitely there. But I don't, I don't know that I agree with you in terms of the actual teams in the field left, right? If you look at the three that are left from, from each league, Leon, Pumas, and Cruz Azul, Seattle, Revs, New York City. I think Leon and Cruz Azul, I could trust to win this tournament. I think maybe Seattle I could trust. New York City, the Revs, I don't think I could trust them. I still think the Mexican three are stronger than the MLS three. Ah, I've got a problem with Leon in international terms. They're so Jekyll and Hyde. They really are. Cruz Azul, great 11. After that, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's your guess. And if I'm looking at the Revs, like the Revs are a team that I think can really do some damage in this tournament. And you say you trust Seattle. I love Seattle and MLS play. I don't know if I trust them in CCL. Do you not forget where they bowed out? How many times? I mean, I struggle to to find. They they take time to find this consistency, and it happens in Major League Soccer as well. So if you're telling me that you absolutely have faith in Liga Mekis, you're probably just going with the flag. You're probably just going nah. with the history. <laughs> Hercules Gomez with his anti-Sounders ways. You heard it here first on no, Football no, Americas. So now one MLS no, team that is not going to be around in the quarterfinals. No, your beloved Colorado Rapids. Uh, they were taking on Comunicaciones of Guatemala last night. Comunicaciones won one nothing in the first leg. Uh, and here, Colorado gets their goal in the 16th minute from Robles. Oh, Colorado. Is it Snow Clasico? You would think the weather would have helped Colorado here, right? Uh, absolutely. You think Guatemalans are used to playing there? Goes to a penalty shootout. It feels like a field goal kicking, right? You got to, like, clear the one spot. Oh, I would not want to take a penalty in the snow. Uh, no, probably not the best thing to do. But how come Guatemalans, how come the Guatemalan team was good at Comunicaciones, huh? Yeah, they got the job done there, uh, winning 4-3 on penalties. That's the Colorado Rapids. The feel-good story of 2021 in Major League Soccer go out in shocking fashion at home uh, against Comunicaciones of Guatemala. Um, Herc, let's talk blame game here, huh? Who are you going to blame for this defeat for Colorado? 
Let me start off by saying how humiliating this should be for Major League Soccer and the Colorado Rapids. Uh, Padraig Smith, the general manager, uh, it's your job to reinforce this team, right? And you get money to do it. And you get money to do it. You should be encouraged to spend. Or did all of a sudden all that money and all that encouragement go to SoFi Stadium here in Los Angeles? Nah. When you have, it's cronky then. It's cronky that when you're going you have, after. When you have, and we've seen this many times, one-offs in Major League Soccer, teams that do well one season, okay? Mm-hmm. You can get rewarded by a CONCACAF Champions League, represent Major League Soccer. We always hear how difficult it is to compete with Liga Mekis, how you want to close the gap, how you want to be the best league in this region and in the world. And here you are losing to Comunicaciones de Guatemala, who, by the way, have not been relevant to that extent. They've not been that big team in Guatemala since like 2014. Their highest pay- player makes like 100 grand a year. Mm. When you look at the money spent and invested on each side, it should be embarrassing. You trade away Kellen Acosta. You loan out. Cole Bassett, where are your goal scorers? Where is your priority here? This is an embarrassment for Major League Soccer. It's an embarrassment for the Colorado Rapids. You would think playing in snow against a team from Guatemala would give you that edge, and yet you take it to penalty kicks, and yet you lose the game. Stop talking about Liga Ameki. Stop talking about closing the gap if you're struggling with Central America. Credit to Comunicaciones. Credit to the only Central American team right now because Seattle will have to play Montagua. still left in this competition. But this is an embarrassment, a black eye for Major League Soccer. It's an embarrassment for sure. Uh, is it that much of a surprise though? Like, did you really think that Colorado was that good last year? If I gave you the, the four MLS teams, the four American MLS teams, and I said, who's going to go out of this tournament first? You to take in Colorado, right? To a Mexican club? Sure. To Comunicaciones? Different story. Okay. Different story. Let's run it back with the rest of the action from round of 16 in the CONCACAF Champions League as we get set to see the quarterfinal feel. New York City FC advancing against Santos de Huapiles of Costa Rica hurt, the defending MLS champions through to the last eight. Go ahead, Alfredo Moreno. Look at that ex-US men's national team. Look at that guy. Oh, did he try to Rabona it, Seb? I think he did. I think he did. Do you, is that a little bit like insulting or not? We, we just love the, the flair. Uh, listen, it's somewhere in between. Okay, you're feeling yourself to stop uh, insulting the showboating. Yeah, stop showboating. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, yeah, this one was uh, was never close. Six nothing. Then the final on aggregate. Puma Saprisa. A couple of uh, giants. Uh, in terms of CONCACAF history, Pumas winning 6-3 on aggregate. Score some nervous moments throughout this tie. Watch this Bruna. finish. <laughs> this game is a lot closer than the scoreline. I mean, it was a very good game. How about this? Look at this, Silky. Ooh, ah. Oh, you needed that one. Look at that. Look what it means to him. <laughs> Pumas then uh, continue to do the work. Uh, and in the end, uh, Saprisa could not respond. And you figured, right? Pumas, an overwhelming favorite in this tie. But oh. I think we got to give the Costa Ricans credit. Yeah, they made it very interesting. Good game. If you catch it, catch it. Leon against Guastatoya. Pretty smooth sailing here. Oh. 3-0. The final oh. on aggregate score. Oh, you see that finish? Outside the boot. Look at the first touch. Elias Hernandez! And look at this. Outside the boot, side netting. Woo. You don't think Leon can do it, huh? Sleeping. 
That's right. Sleeping on my beloved Leon. Okay, uh, Monterrey, we've been following the story uh, for the last couple days. Fans clashing with players. Uh, clashing is probably not the right word. Confronting players outside facilities after the failure at the FIFA Club World Cup. Some tense moments, potentially some some dangerous moments from players. I certainly would not be comfortable uh, if I were in their shoes, Herc. What do you make of it? Lamentable. This is unfortunate. Uh, we're in security here. Why are the fans so close to the players? This could have easily escalated into something bigger, something more dangerous. You never want to see this. Uh, it, it's upsetting. It's not a, a reflection of how good these fan bases, especially Monterrey, can be. One of Rayados. More experienced players, of course, Hector Moreno. Herc, you caught up with him earlier today. Let's listen in to that interview. No. Looking back right now, the only thing I I am thankful is that nothing happened, you know, at the end. You know, it was something that was out of control. And at some point, after everything was clear, people, they just come to, to show some disagreements or to put some pressure on us or to, to give us some input for what they're thinking as a, as a supporter. But uh, at the end of the day, we as a player, we also feel frustrated because the result ha didn't come so far. We feel sad because of the result in the Club World Cup didn't, uh, wasn't as we wanted to be, you know. We always were dreaming about uh, fighting for the final with Chelsea, of course. But at the end of the day, we had a bad day. And the day we, we could not have a bad day. And that, that was the, the losing against al and that, that, that was it, you know. They can be sad, they can be disappointed, they can disagree with us on the field, on the, on the stadiums. Uh, uh, but I think when, when it goes further than that, nobody wants that. Nobody expects that uh, people come to, to, to your training ground or... Yeah, absolutely, Hector. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Javier Aguirre, who's debatably the best coach in Mexico's history, uh, one of the most successful coaches, without a doubt, uh, but finds himself under a lot of pressure. A guy like Javier Aguirre, with, with an important game coming up San Luis this weekend, and then two games next week in León and América, what's been the message from Javier Aguirre to the players? I agree with you, with the, with, the, with him being the, the best coach in the history of Mexico, you know, he's been everywhere and he's won many things. And he, uh, he has a lot of experience and he's been in difficult situations as well in the past. So he has tried to take all the pressure, not putting on to us. He tries to give us freedom. He tried to uh, let us be, you know, during trainings, of course, pushing hard because we know when something, when the things didn't work out the, the, the way you want, you have to push harder, you have to train harder, you have to be mad at trainings and all these kind of things. But also he, he, he gives you the, the calm to go out there and play and, and try to enjoy, of course, because it still is a game, but with the, with the responsibility that we are playing for Rayados, you know, the club with the most expectative in the, in the league. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. And of course, Liga Mekis available for you on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes Rayados. You can watch them Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time against Atlético de San Luis.
All right, Herc, it feels like uh, just yesterday we were in Portland for MLS Cup. And look at that, the MLS season just about to start in only a few days' time this upcoming weekend. So why don't we do a quick season preview edition of Book It. Uh, what's the first category here? Why don't we go with Young Player of the Year? Who's your Young Player of the Year, Hercules Gomez, for the 22 MLS season? Jaquiel Marshall Ruti. Look at my man, the 70-year-old from Brampton, Ontario, the $20 million man. Why do I say the right back is a $20 million man? My man, Toronto FC has already put a $20 million evaluation on this player. Right back, right wing back, European uh, exposure, I should say, uh, scouts all over him. The Guardian has featured him. Now, check this out. Under Bob Bradley, who knows a thing or two about giving teenagers a chance to excel mm. and shine. We talked to Marcus Beasley, we talked Josie Aldor, and in his, in his time, yes, Juan Agudelo with the uh, U.S. Men's National Team. So, look at this signing right here, or I shouldn't say signing, look at this potential European signing, and I think he's going to do big things this year. The slate is open for him to start with Bob Bradley in Toronto FC. Yeah, a couple of days ago, I think I was asking you about Toronto FC's academy. Did they have anybody? Uh, this kid's getting a lot of buzz yeah. right now. I'm going to go with a, a little bit more obvious pick, I think, because we know what his brother can do. I'm going to go Paxton Aronson of the Philadelphia Union. Now, a lot of this is based on what Brendan Aronson has done uh, in his time. But let's look at the trajectory, right? This will be his third kind of full professional season. He had a season in the USL. I think he had 12, 13 games last year, a couple goals. If you look at Brendan Aronson's progression, and we think the two will be similar, Paxton could have that breakout season, either in 2022 or in 2023. I think it comes a season earlier, because let's be honest, the Philadelphia Union are going to play this kid. So uh, I'm really excited about the future for Paxton Aronson. He's my bet for Young Player of the Year, and I don't think you can make a bad bet knowing no. what his brother is. Jonathan Tannenwall, our good friend of the Philly Inquirer, says that many rate him higher than his brother Brendan at that age. All right, let's uh, go to our next topic here. Most valuable player. These are the uh, the six that we've chosen for you to choose from. Herc, who are you going with? <laughs> Give me Albert Rusnak. Give me my man, Albert Rusnak. Uh, Where is he going to play? He's not going to play anymore with Ralph Salt Lake. He's going to a team that generally gets to the show, that generally does well in Major League Soccer. The playmaker is now going to have around him Nicolas Lodeiro, Jordan Morris, Raul Ruiz Diaz, Christian Roldan. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... He doesn't do so bad himself. Benefiting from those around him, my man's going to have a monster season. I just see Albert Ruznak being this year's MVP. I do follow you on Twitter, and earlier today you were telling people to bet their mortgage on Raul Ruiz Diaz to be the golden boot in Major League Soccer. I said it was a good bet. If he wins a golden boot, the score is going to get the MVP. But I like Albert Ruznak. It's a, it's a fair prediction. I'm going way off the board of mine, really, really reaching, really reaching and, and kind of out on the edge of the limb, Juan Javier Chicharito Hernandez. Now, I think you would have had a decent shot at MVP or at least MVP consideration last year. The only thing that happened is that rut, you know, that 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 maybe three-month spell late spring into the summer when he didn't play. If you look at the actual productivity of this player, 17 goals in 21 games. Or can you imagine what his number would be if he gets to 30 or 32 appearances? Dude, I, I think he's very, very likely to get over 20, and I think he might have a sniff at 25. I don't know what the galaxy will be, but I do think 
that Chicharito will have a monster season. And you know if he's in L.A. and scoring goals, he's in the MVP discussion, probably a final. He was out of discussion last season because they weren't a playoff team. They'll be a playoff team this year, and I agree with you. If he stays healthy, that's the biggest if. He's going to be productive. Let's go from the best to the worst. Uh, Wooden Spoon, uh, who do you think will be the worst team, Hercules, in Major League Soccer? Uh, For this, can we go with my friend, the head coach of Charlotte FC, Miguel Angel Ramirez, please? I want Miguel Angel Ramirez, please. O sea, yo, esperemos un poco a ver cómo acaba el roster. Y cuando acabemos el roster, me vuelves a hacer la misma pregunta y te digo, pues mira, ahora la verdad lo veo un poquito más cerca. Ahora estamos jodidos. There you go, Seb. On to you. That's it? That's, That's it. it. I got nothing you're else. You're right. Hey, look, if the, if the coach is telling you we're screwed and you're an expansion team, I, I think it's a pretty good bet. So you know how you always say whenever we say, who's going to win the MLS Cup? Uh, who's your preseason MLS Cup pick? Your default is Seattle. And sometimes I think it's because of your pro Sounders ways, but sometimes I think it's because you're smart. You know there's a very, very good bet that the Seattle Sounders are going to be in the big games in MLS. Well, guess what? When it comes to Wooden Spoon, I think it's a very, very easy bet to say that FC Cincinnati is going to take home that title again. They've just been in this spot for too many years for me to say, I'm going to take them out of the race. I know there's been significant investment in this team, but it feels like it's significant investment without any real idea of what to do. They do have more MLS savvy management, uh, especially in the front office this year. So I think they'll do better in terms of finding the right talent, working the salary cap to fit this league and finally get some success in MLS. But man, there's just so much history of failure hurt in Cincinnati. They got. They gotta be a wooden. They gotta be a wooden spoon favorite, if not candidate. But I, I like. You've your, got no heart. I like I'm your, with Pat Noonan on this one. Okay. All right. Uh, surprise team. I guess this could be surprise, good or bad. Um, which one did you go? Do you go good surprise or you go bad? Surprise? I went good surprise. I went with FC Dallas. Nico Steves, the new coach at FC Dallas. He's got some shiny new toys to play with. They're gonna be <laughs> a lot better than last season. Let's be honest. Uh, along with that factory, La Fabrica de Fuerzas Básicas, mm-hmm. that great academy, they're finally going to invest. Listen, Jesus Ferreira, to a lot of U.S. Men's National Team fans, maybe the butt of some jokes, but he's been very good for FC Dallas. Paula Riola has been very, a very good Major League Soccer player. And Alan Velasco, the new 19-year-old signing from the Independiente, uh, that's a very scary front three for a team that's going to be very hardworking and a tough place to play. That is Dallas. And in those summer months, the dog days mm-hmm. of summer, this team should uh, climb the standings. I think they will surprise a lot of people this season all right so fc dallas herc surprise team i'm gonna go with a team that we really battered quite a bit last year Mm. and that was inter miami now last year i think they deserved quite a bit of that criticism but here's the thing they were so bad last year and i really like what they did i mean they they blew the thing up right 17 17 players gone i mean that's a huge huge roster turnover that that is really impressive work i think the other thing here is that you got to trust chris henderson right I mean, mm-hmm. the guy just has, he's got so much experience uh, in MLS and success in MLS. And so I think going into Miami now, they, they got to sort it out. They've had time. It's got to be now. They're, they're going to be a surprise team. They're going to sneak in the playoffs. Plus, plus you interviewed Phil Neville, and I heard he was very, very good. So I think he can get guys to run through a wall for him. Uh, let's see if he can do that with Miami. Very good. Chris Henderson will do good things as well. MLS 
Cup. Herc, let's put our money where our mouth is. Who do you think will be MLS Cup champion? Let me shock the world when I say the Seattle Sounders are your 2022 MLS Cup champions. This is easy for me, Seb. Law of probabilities. The last six years, they've made four finals. They've won two of them. If you're trying to think of a team that's consistent, since 2017, they've been no worse than second in the Western Conference. I just mentioned Albert Ruznak as an MVP. I told you and I told everybody, uh -huh. plus 1,000 on Raul Ruiz Diaz Golden Boot is great, great value. Last year, Nicolo Dato injured. Uh, Jordan Morris injured. They're back in healthy. This is also the best defensive team last year in Major League Soccer. Oh, by the way, Brian Schmetzer still coaches this team and they still play in Major League Soccer. So what do we know to be true? They get mm. to the final. They win finals. All right. Seattle is a team that I think is a pretty safe bet. What about Atlanta United? That's where I'm going to go for MLS Cup. Now, I think I said this sometime back in like October, November, when they were starting to roll right before the playoffs and they were starting to make some of these big signings. As I said, I'm going to put Atlanta as my way too early 2022 uh, MLS Cup prediction. So I, I think I'm going to stick with it. I like what Atlanta United is doing. I like what they're building. And I really I have a lot of faith in Gonzalo Pineda. I remember us being hurt up in Seattle during the Western Conference Final back in the day. And he was talking about how he was game planning with you in an interview uh, for LAFC and Carlos Vela. And so I just have so much respect for yeah. the, the footballing mind of Pineda that I think he is really now given the time going to find something special with this Atlanta United team. And you know what? MLS needs Atlanta United. MLS needs um, Atlanta United. All right, where are we going next? Bold prediction. Something we do quite a bit on this show. Bold prediction of the year. Herc, what is your bold prediction for 2022? Jordi Alexander Mikhailovic will score double-digit goals and get double-digit assists. Thus, he will be in the conversation for Major League Soccer mm. MVP. This is a player that is on the cusp of playing with the national team. Plays up in Montreal. He's a very good player, set-piece set specialist, very good soccer IQ in the final third. He can pass, he can finish. I think he's really putting it all together. And I think they're gonna be a very dynamic team in Montreal. Do not be surprised when Jordi Mihailovic has those goals and those assists, and he's in that conversation. You, hit her, you heard it here first. Yeah, it, that's a bold prediction. I think he's got, what, like maybe a career high of four goals. So if you're saying double-digit goals and double-digit assists, it's bold. My bold prediction is going to be the Portland Timbers will miss the playoffs. That's right. The team that made it to MLS Cup last year and hosted MLS Cup is not going to make the postseason this year. Now, maybe in MLS that's not that bold of a prediction because just because you made MLS Cup one year doesn't mean anything. Just because you win MLS Cup doesn't mean you're going to make the playoffs the next year. Just ask the Columbus crew. Some of this, if I'm honest, has to do with vibes. I don't think there's great vibes around the Portland Timbers organization right now with everything going on with the Andy Polo situation and the Mayor Paulson situation, which we've addressed ad nauseum on this show. But beyond that, they're just that little bit older. And I think there's got to be some type of hangover from losing an MLS Cup final at home and all the, the kind of wear, both physically and emotionally, that would have taken uh, on this Timbers team. The one bit of faith I got, the one bit of faith I got in Portland, Giovanni Savarese. If anybody can kind of take a group that's under fire and sort things out, I do believe uh, it's the Timbers manager. On Sunday, from the shirts to the pitch, we got the LA Galaxy opening up the season against the defending champions, New York City FC. That one, Sunday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. ESPN Deportes and streaming live on the ESPN app. 
All right, so that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. But we have a big, big show coming for you on Monday and another big interview. Jerdan Shakiri, Herc, well, I, I heard you. Did he get upset with you? Uh, he may have thought I was you, but he definitely watches the show and he had some choice words for us. Okay, all right. It's, it's so you're going to see that. <laughs> You're going to see that on Monday. Remember, you can download this edition of the show in podcast form on the ESPN FC feed, wherever you get your podcast. For Hercules Gomez. Well done, Seb. You did well. You did well. You you. in your bathroom, but you did well. I'm Sebi. We'll see you Monday.